So, um, as I said, if you're, if you're, well, first and foremost, if you're a visitor, Bruno's already welcomed you. I just want to welcome you as well. It's great to have you with us this morning. We're delighted you could join us. We hope you enjoy it and feel home and feel welcome. Um, and if you have anything you'd like us to speak to us about, um, both practical or any prayer that you would like, please do let us know at the end. We're continuing this theme called Gilgal. Um, I'm going to recap a little bit from last week and then move into what I feel the Lord is saying to us this week. Um, uh, really quickly, for those of you who don't know, because I know this is not necessarily a well-known passage of Scripture, but Gilgal was a place uh, in the Old Testament that the children of Israel came to the first time the new generation came through the River Jordan. So the first generation came through, out of, out of Egypt, came through the Red Sea, which we sung about this morning. You split the sea so we could walk through them. They spent 40 years in the wilderness, and then the next generation, they went through the River Jordan into the promised land. And before uh, they would go on to possess the land, they stop at this place called Gilgal. And I just want to recap a little bit about that. And so we've discovered that it's a place of remembering our story. We've discovered that it's a place of lifting our eyes to recognize what's ahead. We're discovering that it's a place of recruiting the next generation for the battles ahead. And we've applied that. And Bruno's talked about how we've seen that application in our own body. And we're, we're moving forward to think a little bit more about how the children of Israel were restored deeply in their identity. And the new generation had just come through the River Jordan. They, they now had their own story of miracles. And... Um, I feel like it's quite applicable to us. We, we have our own story. We're, you know, we're coming nearly five years old. In a few few months' time, we're going to have a, a party, which we haven't planned yet. But we're going to, Debbie will get us a cake from the cozy, I'm sure. And, um, and we'll, have, uh, we'll have a five-year birthday party. Isn't it amazing? Like when we look around the room, what, what God has done and what God is doing. God, we, we've, and even I think as we've moved into this place, it's like we have our own story of crossing over. We have, God has provided for us every step of the way. Um, but in one way, while, while we have our own story now of crossing over and into the land of promise, in one way it feels like we're only beginning. We're only getting started for all that God has ahead for us. Um, and uh, Gilgal was like that for the children of Israel. We, we know and what we're learning is that there's a, there are seasons in life where God wants us to circle around some of the core bits of our identity so that we can be prepared for all that lies ahead. The word Gilgal means rolling. It can also mean circle or wheel. And there's a sense in which these, this is a season where God is carving us deeper. He's, he's hollowing us out uh, in the gentle way that God does. But sometimes it feels sore, but he's carving us out. He's creating within us more capacity for us to carry the Spirit of God. And I just want to say this. It's really important that we realize that's not a passive thing. Just because we're maybe focusing on doing a little bit of internal work, it doesn't mean that in, we're inactive or we're passive or we're not growing or we're not supposed to get on with doing what Jesus called us to do. But what we are just realizing is this kind of law in the kingdom that when we move towards Jesus and we move towards his presence, actually counterintuitively almost growth happens. That when we learn to abide and we learn to just to be in Christ, then we bear fruit. And, uh, and so I think that's a season for us. So it's not, um, it's not necessarily a surprise to me that as we concentrate on our own hearts and souls that we continue to grow. Because that is the process of pruning that Jesus talks about in the scriptures. 
And, and so what's, that's what's going on with the children of Israel as they cross, a road, cross the Jordan. God has all these great plans. There's going to be big battles ahead. This is a land flowing of milk and honey. This is a land of great destiny. But God was, first of all, saying, I need to deepen your identity. I need to get hold of you for a season because you have no idea what lies ahead of you. You have no idea of the plans and purposes. And so I'm going to circle you around some things in your life that just need to be chiseled a little bit more. You know, so that you can come into more of who I want you to be. And so he reminded them, and very simply or shortly I could say it like this, he was reminding the children of Israel who they were and whose they were. And that's such an important thing for us to remember. God wants us to remember who we are and whose we are if we're going to possess the land. And so last week, I said if you were a visitor last week, and again, it's not like, don't worry, it's not every week we speak about circumcision in this church. We're not some weird cult or anything like that. But it is in the Bible as an ancient practice that God um, encouraged Abraham and his descendants to go through as a physical sign of who they were and whose they were. And it was in an intimate place because it was the organ through which the generations came. And God was showing Israel, Abram and his descendants, that he, his love was going to be committed, not just to Abram, but down through the generations. And so it has to be understood in the context of covenantal love. And God has brought us, because the children of Israel had to remember who they were. They were not just like the people, they were not just the, the sons and daughters of the slaves that come out of Egypt. They were actually the descendants of Abraham, who 400 years earlier was given a promise that he would be a blessing, that his children would be blessed, and that they would bring blessings to the nations. It's, it's practically the Garden of Eden all over again. Now, just imagine for a second that God showed up in your everyday, ordinary life and said, I'm going to bless you so that your children will be blessed, so that through your children and your family, all the families in the whole earth will be blessed. That was the promise to Abraham. And so when the children of Israel were brought out of Exodus, um, out of Egypt through the Exodus into the promised land, and the new generation needed to be reminded who they were, they were children of blessing. And I really want to say this, and I would love you to hear this this morning by the Spirit of God. You are children of Abraham. He is our father as much as he was the children of Israel's father. You are a child of blessing. You were born and put on this earth, packed with the potential in every day of your life to carry the seed of promise, the seed of promised blessing to all nations so that you could be blessed and your children could be blessed and so that through you, all the children and nations of the earth could be blessed. This is the same story. It, this is not a fairy tale that we refer back to to get a little bit of a pep talk. This is a story that's still unfolding in history today, and we are part of that story. We are children of blessing to carry the promise of blessing into the world, to carry the abundance of heaven, the boundless love of God for all nations. But to do that, we, like the children of Israel, at times in our life, we need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be stripped back. We need to be, sorry to be so graphic about it, but stuff, stuff in our hearts needs to be cut back so that we can carry and contain more of what God calls us to. And first and foremost, what needs cut back is sin, is self. And so this gruesome kind of bloody nature of circumcision connects with the sin in our lives that needs dealt with, that needs, that needs 
cut back so that more of God can fill it. But as I said at the start, it needs to be understood in the context of covenantal love. And I guess what I feel like the Lord really wants to get across through this, this, this kind of ancient text is the presence of God should mark us. Love marks us. You see, we know this if we've truly fallen in love with somebody. We, we are prepared to give up. It, it, we're prepared for it to cost us something. We, we, we know this if, if we're blessed to be a parent. You know, we'll know that we'll give up for the one that we love so that they can become more. Love, when we really meet unconditional, beautiful love, it marks us. Love marked Jesus. He didn't just shout down from heaven, here, by the way, folks, just sending you a wee love letter here to tell you that I love you. No, he didn't do that. No, he came down and he became like us. Love marked Jesus. Love took Jesus to the cross and he still carries the scars of those wounds so we can know that our scars matter. And when we come into this unconditional, loving, beautiful presence of Jesus, we're, we give up every affection of our heart and sometimes that feels sore. But in that process, we're becoming more one with God and we're prepared and able to carry more of his blessing in the world. Uh, I spoke about this last week, obviously, and Keith sent me this during the week. Keith likes uh, to write poems and he's very good at them. And for those of you who like poems, let me just read this. I think the words are on the screen. Cut to the quick in that space of our lives between that which lives and that which is dead, that place where only he knows to gently lay the knife. Sap runs and sticks. These wounds lay bare ooze for all to see. Our mourning for that which is lost but must go moves us to know his comfort in our strife. If it must be done, cut quick a swift stroke. But heart surgery is a careful skill for one with scarred hands powering away of darkness to bring such light. But if we learn to rest our trust in all he brings and do not rush away, we find that each scar brings hope of a new season, of verdant growth thrust forth by his might. Come, healer of hearts, mender of souls, cut clean your way in me. Beautiful. You see, what I want to say this morning is <clears throat> God is the ultimate surgeon or we could say the ultimate gardener, as we talked about last week. He, he, he knows how to cut gently and tenderly in order to bring more fruit. This is not some kind of brutal act. This is the tender touch of a father who wants you to become all that you're created to be and knows that the thing that will hold you back from that is your own self, is your own independence, your own desire to do it your own way. Influenced by the deceitfulness of the enemy. But I want to dovetail what I said last week and try to recap here with a little bit more depth with another element, if you like, or another dimension of who God is. And so what I want to say today is God is not just the ultimate surgeon. He's the ultimate therapist or the ultimate counselor because he knows how to come to our lives in such a way that unknits and unpicks all the wrong ways of thinking that prevent us from coming into the freedom of his love. Part of the journey of becoming a Christian is getting your mind renewed. 
part of becoming a Christian is that you don't stay the same, is that you allow yourself day by day, week by week, month by month, no matter how long you've been a Christian or how long you've been in the road, to be renewed, being led into the truth. This is what the presence of God leads you into truth, leads you into a depth of understanding His Sonship. I think this is on the screen. But the presence of God both cuts us and collides with us, but also counsels us and caresses us. It does both at the same time. And it should be doing both. And if it's only doing one and not the other, then you know you, you need to allow the Lord to address that because the Word of God does both. It cuts us. The, the, those who heard, heard the message of Jesus, or yeah, the message of the gospel preached through Peter and Pentecost, it says they were cut to their heart. It, like something had to change in their lives, and they knew it right there and then. And sometimes that's what the Word of God does. It collides with us. It should jar with you sometimes. It, it, should, it should stop you in your tracks and go, actually, you know, the way I'm thinking at the moment is wrong. And, and something needs it. That the presence of God shouldn't always just be like the warm fuzzies. It should cut us and collide with us, not, not because it like wants to condemn us, but because it wants to lead us into life. But in doing that, at the same time, simultaneously, it also caresses us and, and counsels us. It, it's like a wave after wave caressing our soul of the love of God that just comes over us and over, and it's boundless and it's uh, it's never ending. And this morning, I want to follow on from talking about cutting, if you like, by talking about the Father who counsels us. He counsels us like a good counselor does into sonship by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean it's always comfortable, but it does mean it brings us deeper into his love. Let me read from John chapter 14. Jesus' words before he went to the cross. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The word advocate at this particular point, in some of your Bibles, if you were looking at them, would show you dependent on your translation. It's also been translated counselor or comforter or helper. In the Greek, it's the word paraclete. It seems to be all of those things. So I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you a counselor. He will give you a comforter. He will help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Such stunning words. On that day, you will realize I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. The intimacy that Jesus has with the Father is going to be in us. We are going to join in the intimacy of the Father and the Son. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. These are, these are beautiful words. Jesus is going to heaven in a few days' time, basically. And he's saying to the disciples, the Spirit is going to come as an advocate. He's going to help you. In other words, while I'm going, Jesus is saying, and you can't imagine that anything could be better than me going, Jesus is saying, it's going to be as if I've never gone anywhere because the Holy Spirit is going to come in such a way that he's going to be poured into your life to fill up every gap that you're feeling because I've gone. 
And so Jesus says, I am going to heaven. I'm going to ascend. I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father after finishing a work for us. But the Holy Spirit is going to come in such a way that it's going to feel like I've never left. I will not leave you orphaned. You shouldn't feel abandoned by God. You shouldn't feel orphaned by God because I'm going to come by the person of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just going to stand here and talk to you, Jesus is saying, but I'm going to live inside of you, in your spirit, in your heart, in the part of you that feels things and knows things and is aware of things. In that part, I'm going to fill it with myself. And so God's greatest desire for us is that we would walk in confident sonship, which is a kind of general word for humanity, but let me say for the women in the room as well, in confident daughterhood. God wants, that's his greatest desire for you, that you would walk in confident sonship and daughterhood. And this is what God wanted for the children of Israel. As they stepped into the promised land and they came to this first base, which is Gilgal, God was saying, I want you to know who you are. For the battles that are ahead, you need to know who you are and whose you are. But in order for you to do that, you need to break free from some stuff. You need to break free. Here's a big one for us, okay, in, in this area that we live and in our lives personally. You need to break free from some generational stuff. Here's what, here's what, here's what I feel like the Lord wants to say to some of you this morning. You're called to go further than your parents ever have gone. You're prepared to break the ceiling of where they have gone before. That, that, from one generation to another generation. We're prepared. And so to do that, whether that's been a good experience for you or a bad experience for you, you have to actually break some generational thinking. You have to, now lots of that can have been good and laid the deposit and that's a whole other sermon and a whole other preach, which we'll do someday. But you also are called to go beyond and we, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. Attitudes, behaviors, mindsets. They had to encounter God for your, had they encounter God for themselves. You have to let go of some of the attachments you're born into if you want to become all that your God wants you to become. I, I live was brought up in the country, as many of you know. And when I when I go down there, I was because my dad's called Alan and I'm called Alan after him, I got growing up wee alley. Right? So I was just known as Wee Alley to like most of all the, we come from a big family and all of that. So when I go down, even now, I'm 43 now, right? When I go down and see my cousins who are about that height, they still call me Wee Alley. Yeah? <laughs> so I, did, I would go down to my cousins to get my car fixed and they'll say to my dad, Wee Alley was down here. And I'm like, I'm 10 years older than you, you know? But that's just how I'm known down there. Now, there's something beautiful, isn't there? And like humbling and warm about all of that. I wouldn't change that. But there is a sense in which a lot of that stuff at times can be restricting, particularly because of the familiarity of it at times stops you from moving into all that you are called to be. I've had to walk through moments in my life where I've needed the Father to counsel me through significant transitions in my life in order for me to become more confident in my sonship. Because stuff happens in life that diminishes that. And the devil wants us to focus on the diminishment of that. And God wants to turn it around for good in order to increase the sense of sonship. So I've walked through, as many of you know, I've walked through moments of deep, deep grief in my life. I've had big questions. Big questions I've had to ask God. 
things have come at me in life that have rocked my whole theology because I thought God said some things and they didn't work out the way I thought they would. And so I've had big questions. What, what did I need there? I needed the Father to come by the Holy Spirit and counsel me through those. It's allow me to ask those questions and listen to those questions and listen to those questions and listen to that anger and listen to that disappointment and listen to that denial and listen to that rage and listen to all of that and then slowly and gently allow me to become more confident in my sonship and understand that in all of it he was doing what only he can do. I've also had moments in my life where, I, so I, I, as many of you know, speak about it from time to time, I have a really good relationship with my own dad. He would be my best friend, I would say. Just have that kind of a relationship. But because I love him so much, there's been times in my life as I've got older where I've realized I don't actually fully agree with him on everything in life. And I found that really hard because he's my hero and I thought I should. But we really love the Bible. Both of us really love the Bible. We're kind of, and so, but there's certain things he believes about the Bible that like, I don't fully believe. Now, that's not because, like, we're there on the fundamentals, all right? Like, we're both saved, we're going to heaven, and all that, like, all of that. So, this is going to be recorded. Love you, Dad. All right, right? <laughs> but there's certain things, like, so for example, on how he thinks the world's going to end, how he thinks Jesus is going to come back, what the end times are going to look like. I probably have a different view on that. And, and that's not a big deal because people have been arguing about that for like years. We both think Jesus is coming back, we both know we need to be ready, all of that. Right? I was just brought up, there was a big chart at the back and we were told how it was all going to work and how it was all going to happen and all of that. And I have just different views on that these days. Right? The reason I'm telling you that is not because we necessarily disagree on that a little bit, it's because when I realized I did, it affected me. It affected me deep. I was like, why am I getting so annoyed with him? Because I think that's wrong and I think that. that and, and I realized when I actually scratched beneath the surface, it's because I love him. And I, I, wa I want us to agree on everything. And we don't necessarily. But that's okay. Because I could let go of that and still love him even more. And what I realized it was, is I was getting an identity from him that I needed to get from the Father. So the point of me telling you that is not whether I'm right or he's right. I don't really know, to be honest. And here's the reality. When it comes to the end times, none of us really do. Just get yourself ready because Jesus is coming back and make sure you're there when he does, okay? But what, 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 what the point I'm telling you is, is I have had to work through seasons of my life where I have had to become not just my hero's son, but I've had to become the father in heaven's son. First and foremost, that's where my identity comes from. I've had to work through that. And I haven't, that's not easy, but I've needed counseled through it by the Holy Spirit, by the Father. And I feel like that's what God wants to do with us. Because uh, there's battles ahead, but he's doing something. It struck me when I was preparing it for this week, the first battle will be Jericho, won't it? How does Jericho, for those of you who know the story, know the story you'll know, and, but just briefly if you don't, uh, Jericho, they walked around, what did they, they walked around for seven days, seven times, and in the last day, seven times. Yeah. So they circled the city. It's interesting that the way the battles and the strongholds come down is when we circle things right when we circle things in prayer but they circled things physically and outwardly a few days after they'd done a circle inwardly hadn't they they had they'd become confident in who they were which meant that they carried what they'd done in here 
to walk around Jericho and see the walls fall down. You see, sometimes I felt like the Lord wanted to maybe say to some of you this morning that there's a stronghold ahead and you're thinking that there's some over-spiritualized answer to it. And Jesus just is saying, no, I want, I want to form you in confidence, sonship or daughterhood because that's how the battle's going to come down. So that you get up and you walk around that stronghold and it's not necessarily, and I, don't get me wrong, I love a good, I love a good prayer meeting. I, I, I love a good, you know, going for it, right? I, I, there's, there's intercession that we're going to need to do to see strongholds come down. But some of the stuff in our lives, we're looking at the big prophetic word where God's just forming you into a confident son or daughter. That's how the battle's going to come. Oh, that's how the battle's going to be won. You don't need a degree in the demonic. You just need to learn how to become a son and daughter that carries the confidence and authority of Jesus in your life. That's what happened to Jesus in the wilderness. Every time the devil got in his face, he just said, you say this, my father says this. See you later. You say this, my father says this. On your bike. You say this, my father says this. And the devil leaves with his tail between the legs because he submitted to God, he resisted the devil, and the devil couldn't cope with it. And so we circle knowing that God's going to come. Every Friday night, Stephen and some of the faithful group of people, they circle the city in prayer, this town. They circle, and they just we keep saying the same thing. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to know who we are in you, God. That's the way the strongholds come down. And that's what I believe that God is doing in our hearts and our lives. And this is why I feel like we've been even given this particular space that we're sitting in right now, a Gilgal moment for all that lies ahead, that God is, in his kindness has given us a season where we come to know who we are and whose we are all over again. But I particularly feel for some of you who have been Christians for a long, long time, who've heard maybe even this kind of sermon before, that the Father is saying, there is another level of authority that I want to bring you into. There is another revelation of the Father heart I want you to know. I want you to circle some stuff because I'm bringing you into a deeper confidence in me. But the only way that you can do that, the only way you can get upgraded in the kingdom is to go low, is to allow yourself to be humbled, is to allow yourself allow your heart not to get hard and think that you know everything, but to allow your heart to stay soft before the Lord and to let go of every form of entitlement, to let go of every victory you've had to date in order to allow the Spirit to do what he wants to do. We need to give the Father permission to father us. Browning Manning said this, it's on the screen. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is a true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Think about that statement for a moment. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is a true self. Every other identity is an illusion. I think it was Browning Manning that went on to say that when, he st when we stand before Jesus, he reckons he's going to ask us one question. And he reckons that that question is going to be, did you believe that I loved you? And we will go, of course, Jesus. At the church, sung the songs, got the T-shirt. 
And Jesus said, but did you believe that I loved? Did you radically shape your whole life around this truth? That before you're anything, that you're one that's loved by me. This sounds amazing, but it's hard to walk into, isn't it? And this is where we come back to the idea of God as a counselor. I know the thought of counseling probably freaks some of us out. There are some bad ones out there. Find a good one if you're going to go. But I've been the product of good counseling. And when, I sit, when you sit before a good counselor, they really help. The best ones aren't pushy. They're not giving you all the answers. They're not trying to like rush you out of the place of pain. They listen. They embody presence. There's something about their personhood that just makes you feel despite the fact that there's a lot to work through, that it's all going to be okay. And good counselors also just learn at the right moments just to lean in at the right point and say, tell me more about that particular thing that you talked about. And then you talk it out a bit more. And then you go, you get your own moment of insight and you go, oh, I do do that, don't I? I am a bit pushy. I am a bit competitive. I do get intimidated by people easily. I do compare myself to others a lot. I am doing that thing that my mom did that I never said I would do, but now I'm doing it. That's what happens when we sit before a good counselor. And what I want to say to you today is, we have got the best counselor in the world, the Holy Spirit. And I just want to encourage you for the next few weeks to sit with the counselor of all counselors, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. Let him sit with you and let him lead you into truth and let him unpack and undo some of the attitudes and ways of thinking that you maybe never even thought were wrong, that Jesus wants to do some work with you on because he wants you to walk further into, further into who he called you to be as his son or daughter a truer version of who you were born to be. We all know Christians who are saved and know a lot, but they're just pain in the backside. I can't think of any other better way to say it. Because they've never decided, or they've never allowed themselves to do the internal work. It sounds like, and I've been there, so I'm not like saying that, a, I've been that person. We pretend to know a lot, sound like we're holy, sound like... We've never actually done the work inside our hearts to be brought deeper into the love of God. One of the things that's really difficult, one of the things I really struggle with when I hear Christians say, you hear Christians sometimes say, well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way God made me. You can't see I'm like, where do we even get that from? Where, where, where do we even think that? It's just like theologically completely wrong. Of course you can change. That's the point. The, the Holy Spirit comes to, to change us and transform us. Of course, we've all got different personalities. Some of us are more direct than others. Some of us are more driven than others. That's what we can honor personality. But if we're rude, abrupt, short with people, over competitive, you know, walking over the, that's not personality. That's just self that needs changed and transformed into the fruit of the Spirit. But sometimes that stuff comes from, that's not who you are, that's who you've become because of life, 
because of hurt, because of pain, because stuff that's been done to you that's been hard and sore, because of mistakes that you've made. All of that makes us who we are. And the Holy Spirit comes as the perfect counselor to go. I just want to I just want to free you up from that because you see when you felt that hurt or you felt that rejection or you felt that pain I was there and I know what it feels like and I want to heal you and transform you into who God wants you to become people who say that's just the way I am haven't had a revelation of the father's love because if they did they would know it's powerful enough to change them and to heal them and to restore them and I just think that God wants to heal some stuff he wants to say, let me counsel you into, into that place. I just want to finish with a story from the Bible. I'm not going to read the passage just because we're running out of time. But there is a story in the Bible, potentially my favorite story in the Bible in the Old Testament. And it's about a little boy called Mephibosheth. Right? Okay, turn to the person beside you and say Mephibosheth. Go on, have a go. You can do it. <laughs> right? <clears throat> Mephibosheth, right? Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, <laughs> Mephibosheth was dropped when he was a baby. Okay, he was a little, and he was dropped by a nurse, the the, the sort of um, wet nurse or whatever it would have been that looked after him. He was dropped, and he was paralyzed, lame on both feet. Um, he was a son of Jonathan, who was David's best friend. Saul's son, Jonathan, and David. If you know the Bible story, you'll know that they were like soulmates. And uh, they had a covenant with one another that they'd you know, li- live for one another and lay down their lives for one another and one another's family. So after Jonathan died and David was living in grandeur, one day he said, is there anybody left in Jonathan's house that I could show kindness to? I've remembered this covenant. And the servants go and they find, they say, well, actually, there is a son, but he's a little paralyzed boy that sort of pretty much has been forgotten about. He's called Mephibosheth. He lives in Lodabar, this, um, this, this place in the middle of nowhere. And David says, go and get him because I, I want to show him kindness. And um, if, if you actually just throw it up quickly because there's just an important point. It says um, in verse 7, so let me say, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pray to him. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Just to picture this little paralyzed boy, at your service. Don't be afraid, David said then, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you to all that land that belonged to your father, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Do you feel that? I just feel like a dead dog, and yet you've brought me to your table. And then the king summoned Zebus to Saul's steward, and he said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And the king said, Zebus said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. Incredible story. The king wants to not just give Mephibosheth this amazing inheritance. For the rest of his life, he wants him to eat with him at his table. And I just think there's some of us here today and there's little bits of our lives that feel like a dead dog. Maybe ashamed of them, embarrassed of them, hope nobody ever would find out about them, or... <laughs> Or we just just come back to haunt us or bite us or whatever. And I just feel like the Father's saying, I want you to come to the table because 
There is a place at the table for you every single day. He hasn't forgotten you. About seven or eight years ago, um, there's a little man came to our church in Lurgan. He was called Dave. He was from England. David had a pretty difficult life. He'd been through four or five marriages. He had a really smoked like a tree and a really, really bad kind of lungs. Had to go on an inhaler four or five times a day. Um, but he came to church and he had nowhere to go one night. So d- Dad brought him home, home to our house. And um, Dave uh, slept through the night. And Dad says, Dave's just staying here for the night. He stayed for a year, uh, lived, lived with us, lived amongst us, um, got a little office outside in his garage. Then we found him somewhere to live, and he came down every day, fed the cat, washed my football boots, which was amazing. The dad looked after him at the end of every week. He just became part of the family. When we all got married, Dave got a suit like the rest of the bridal party, got dressed up, came to the weddings with us. Part, part of all of that. Um, and he was just a funny wee man, but great, great man, loved, loved God, just, just broken. He'd been dropped, like Mephibosheth. He'd been dropped. And the thing that I was thinking about this week that I felt the Lord just wanted me to share as it closed was, there's lots you could say about him. But the one thing that stands out at me is when we were all a bit younger and all the grandkids hadn't came, we still used to go to my mum's for Sunday lunch and often we would have the preachers or important people, important people. And, um, and sometimes when that happened, what Dave would do was he would recognize it was like this important thing happening or the family, there was more people around with the family. And what he would do is he'd go into the kitchen and he'd get his dinner and he'd slip away down to his office or his room because he didn't want to be in the road. And every time he did that, every time, my dad went and got him. And he brought him back up into the kitchen. He said, Dave, you eat with us. You sit at our table. You sit at our table. There's no special seats in the kingdom of God. There's no special seats in this church. If anybody ever tells you they can't, you can't sit on a particular seat in this church, just, just come and have a word with me or Chris. We'll sort them out. Because <laughs> everybody has a seat at the table. Everybody has a seat at the table. Nobody gets just to slip away off to the back or eat their dinner on their own. Because in the kindness of the king, he says, is there anyone I can show kindness to? And so the father comes today to the parts of our lives that feel like dead dog. And he said, I want to undo that bit. I want to unravel that bit. I want to knit a little bit more so that you can carry the kingdom. And so every good counselor knows this. Trust the process. Trust the process. I know some of us feel like we're slogging out a process of inner work at the moment or inner healing. Trust the process and trust the counselor because God is doing something beautiful. Amen. Let me pray for you. I'm going to ask the prayer ministry team just to come and stand at the front as I pray. I know we're out of time um, and we need to go and get our kids, but we'd love to pray for anybody that feels the Lord speaking to them this morning. So just come on ahead up here, prayer ministry team, would you, and get ready as I pray. Just um, 
Why don't we all just stand for a moment? Can we do that? All just stand for a moment. Why don't you just... Why don't just almost as a sign, and if you're if you're new with us, please don't feel uncomfortable with this. But sometimes we, we come, um, just the stuff of life makes us almost feel like our fists are clenched a little bit. And just so wherever you're standing, or you're trying your best, you've got some kind of defensive mechanism to get through life. And if we, if you were to symbolize that, it feels like you're you're grabbing, you're striving, you're trying to get through on your own. And and what I'd love you to do this morning, if you just feel the Lord speaking to you, wherever you are in your journey, just love you to maybe open up your hands before the Lord and just let me pray. Let him just let him just come and fill you. And so so Holy Spirit, I just pray in these moments. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, Father, that you're moving in this place. Lord, I thank you for the words of Jesus that said, You would not leave us like orphans. You would not leave us like orphans, but you would come and fill up every gap, every part of us that feels orphaned or abandoned or misunderstood, that you would come and fill. And so right now, God, as we stand in this place, Lord, just as people's hands are open before you, I ask you now just to let your people feel the weight of the Father's love, God, just coming in and upon them in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit. We really need you. We need your healing. We need your touch. We want to become more um, of what you've called and created this to be. We are looking ahead to all that you have for us. But God, we know this season is important. So help us not to short circuit this season. Help us not to rush past what you're doing. Help us to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, the great counselor at work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Johnny to put on some soft music. Um, if you'd like to go and get your kids, we'd love that. But do do come for prayer. Um, the prayer ministry team would love to pray for you. Please come up to the front and um, and uh, yeah, let us pray for you. There's no rush away.